we're not going to be like, how much stuff can we make that people will buy? You know, and it's like that. That's like against who we are as a, as a company. So like, I want to make really great stuff. I want to make stuff that helps the world and that helps like our daily routines. Basically, like my job, I feel like, is to get plastic and harsh chemicals out of our daily routine. Things turn out the best for those who make the best of what turns out. So says Lindsay McCormick, co-founder of Bite Toothpaste Bits, who launched a business that was inspired well beyond money after watching a documentary about the plastic crisis in our oceans. She and her co-founder did the nearly impossible, getting on Shark Tank and then receiving an offer from Mark Cuban himself, and then the unthinkable, turning it down. Coming up, you'll hear why Lindsay's job in TV prepared her for running a startup. The value in paying someone to set up your pixel properly and why she spent a year in research and development before launching the business. And a look at the unsexy but critical parts of entrepreneurialism. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me here. I am so excited to have a conversation with you today because over the past almost two years, I have gotten very into natural health and wellness and have been searching for a toothpaste. And here I am now meeting you, staring at Bite, and I just want to understand, how did you come up with this idea and turn it into a business? So it's it's funny. I feel like and, and like along my journey, I really realized as well, we put so much thought into what's in our shampoo and what's in our conditioner and what's in my makeup. But then you're not even thinking like I didn't even think to like flip around the back of the toothpaste tube and think of what's going in my mouth, right, with the toothpaste. So for me, it started – I was traveling all the time for work. I was a TV producer and I was going through those little toothpaste tubes and it just seemed like incredibly wasteful. I've always been passionate about the environment, conservation. And so I started looking into alternatives and they were all either packaged in plastic and then from that research, I realized all of the like unnecessary, harsh ingredients that were in commercial toothpaste that I had never given a second thought to. You know, you don't even think to look at the back of, of the toothpaste tube. It's scary when you start reading all the ingredients it that is. are in these commercial products. It really is. Like whether it's artificial dyes, flavors, like sodium lauryl sulfate. Like I don't even use it in my shampoo. So I started being like, okay, I definitely want to make something that's better for the planet and better for my body. And I wanted it to not be in plastic. So I learned, you know, in my search for an alternative to the little tube, that 1 billion plastic toothpaste tubes over that goes into our landfills and our oceans every year, which is the equivalent of the Empire State Building 50 times every year. And I was like, as someone, you know, who's passionate about the environment, that was startling to me. And then on top of the fact that 
Another study was you swallow five to seven percent of your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, which is an entire like blob every seven days. So I was like, okay, if I don't want to eat these things, I shouldn't be brushing my teeth with them. So how do I make something that's going to be effective, but good for me and good for the planet? And so what year was this? This was I this started revelation. 2017 is when I started thinking about it. And there was well, like the first like inklings was like end of 2016. 2017 was complete like iteration, right? So it was I didn't have a dentist degree or a chemistry degree. So I took online chemistry classes. I had to rope in like every dentist and dental hygienist who would give me the time of day. Like literally I was going through my Facebook being like, who did I go to high school with who became a dentist? You know, (laughs) and like Facebook messaging them and be like, hey, can you hop on a phone call? To finally come up with the formula that we use in our tablets. And so I actually didn't want it to be a tablet at first. I knew I wanted it to be in something refillable, but I didn't want to have to buy a tableting machine because we are self-funded. Like I'm totally, like it was just money that I had from my own savings. And I was like, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars on a tableting machine. Every dollar counts. (laughs) It really does. And so I bought like a pastry bag and I was trying to pipe out like little dots. And then I set my toaster oven on fire and I was like, okay, I can't make this. Like it's not going to be like a little (laughs) like dots. So then I finally ended up being like, okay, I have to, it's going to be a tablet. And then I started pressing them in my house. So it, the first, you know, the first bottles of bite were all made in my living room on a hand crank tablet press, uh, with ingredients that I bought from like online places, like some of them from Amazon. Cause like you can get xylitol your erythritol off Amazon, but then a lot of them were from like chemistry connection and like all these different places that I could get the, uh, get the ingredients. So it's kind of the long story of how we got to here. No, that's so interesting. So, Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? So it's funny. My mom is actually an entrepreneurship high school teacher. And she has always taught – like she taught marketing and now entrepreneurship. And I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, like re- really ever. I never had any interest in it. And not that there's anything wrong, but I like wanted to make like nature documentaries. Like that's why I was in TV. Like I know that – I love the power of story. I love being able to show people the world and, and show them why they should protect this beautiful place. And like, that's what I was doing in television was like working my way up to that. And so it's so funny that when this all happened, we it, it all started by really, it was like this little tiny website that I was selling on like Etsy. And then I had a little Shopify site. And then we had a, a video go viral. And that was like the beginning of like, oh my gosh, I need business insurance. You know, oh my gosh, I need this stuff. And so I remember calling my mom being like, what do I do? And she was like, this is so interesting because she's a high school teacher and she teaches all of this theoretical stuff. But then what we were finding, the stuff that I really needed to know and like what her kids really needed to know, like her, her students was like how to start an LLC and like how to find business insurance and like what do you actually need and like how do you and those are all the things that it was like I didn't have money for a lawyer so I was on YouTube you know and like I was trying to figure it out there so yeah that's uh that's kind of it's all self-taught so (laughs) wait a second you came up with this formulation and then you started selling initially just on Etsy Etsy so you're selling toothpaste Yes. on Etsy. Yes. And then what happens? And then I have a Shopify site okay. and I just started that and I took little iPhone photos. And then my boyfriend, who's a designer, and he is the whole reason Byte looks like the way that it is today. If it was like me, it would, it would be like a hand-drawn label, right? Well, your site is he, gorgeous. Your branding's gorgeous. <laughs> thank you. For my birthday, he was like, I'm redoing all of this branding. And he redid my site. He redid the the label. And then that's how we got like what it looks like. And then that's when we ended up going viral on Women's Health made a video and it was the, it was really when we, it's so crazy because the conversation from two and a half years ago until now 
is a complete 180. Like when I was first talking, I was trying to talk to people about this like solid toothpaste, this weird little tablet that, you know, works like toothpaste, but there's no plastic. And I remember people were kind of like, why? Like, why do I need this? Like, why does it matter? And then within a year of that, the conversation really started to change. And the the zero waste movement really started to become a thing. There was a, a blogger, her name is Catherine Kellogg. Her site is Going Zero Waste. She put us in her holiday gift box. And so it kind of exposed us to like the zero waste world. And we started getting little bubbles from like the vegan bloggers because if you didn't know, um, a lot of, to- most toothpaste is tested on animals. So it's like, it's not vegan. And so we got vegans supporting us and zero waste supporting us. And so these little tiny voices start getting louder and louder and then women's health was like this is interesting let's make a video and then it just like spread took off yeah so all through social media and totally and the press yeah. what were those early days like take me back to when you were really first starting the business and you said you were just you know googling how to work with an attorney how to set up an llc like walk me through what some of those early challenges were like and how you figured out what to do it's the beginning of setting up a business, any business, whether you're making toothpaste or t-shirts is, is so hard because you think you're going from like A to B, but you're really going from like A to one to two to Z, like to like 17, like to purple, to pink, to like 17 different places. And then finally, maybe you get to B, you know, and you're like, oh, I thought that this was so linear, but there's actually so many steps in between every step that I know I need to make. For me, I was still working full time as a TV producer, which I feel like a lot of people who are starting their first businesses, you have. And like the way I started seeing my TV job I was so thankful for it. I love the company I was working for, but also like I saw it as like an investor who wasn't taking equity because I was shoveling all of that money I was making in my TV job into this job. And it was kind of like, wow, you know, it's like I can I can do this just with my savings. I think, you know, really having like conviction in what you're doing because you're going to get a lot of people who don't get it. And there's going to be a lot of questions that you don't know the answer to. And being able to, for me, my motivation was watching Plastic Ocean, which is a documentary on the plastic crisis. And I would like cry my eyes out and get back to work, you know? And so it was like, that was my, or, or if I got something and I was so stuck and I felt myself spinning, I would like go on a run. I live by the beach and I would like see trash and I'd pick it up and I'd be like, okay, go back to work, you know? And I think that like, no matter what your reason is, it definitely has to be beyond, beyond money because like... There's not enough money in the world to get you through those first few months because they're so hard, you know? So I think that it's about finding, like, your contribution and, like, doing that. Would you say that your job in TV helped prepare you for running a business? I definitely think my job in in TV prepared me for running a business because for me, like, being in TV, it's – it's like kind of like being in a pressure cooker because there's a lot of money on the line and you only have a certain amount of time to get it right. And you really need to be able to improvise when things don't go the way because I also worked in non-scripted. And so it's like you don't – you have an idea of what it's going to be like when you get there, but you really have no idea what it's going to be like when you're actually there. And so there's a lot that you're like, oh, that happened? That's not what I expected, but we're just going to pick it up and keep going. you know. And it's about kind of like – everything falling apart around you and you're still like smiling and maintaining your like cool, you know? And I think that that is something that has helped me so much. And like, it's, it's, uh, and like, especially with reality TV, it's like, you have to be able to make like everything out of like not much because yeah. the budget's not big and like, you know, and you, so you're just like, okay, we're going to figure this out, you know? And so, Gotta be scrappy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's helped a lot. 
were were there things that you've learned now through your experience in the early days that you wish you knew or someone had told you when you were first starting your business that you can share for others who are listening who are just starting out? Oh, man. Yeah. Really, really. I would say get an understanding. This is something we're actually dealing with now. Like, Save your money on everything except get a good accountant because something for us, it's like tax law, especially when you're online, is so different and always changing. And like we're still good. Everything's good. But it's like I wish we would have had someone who fully understood that from day one. Like maybe not day one because it's really expensive. So like, okay, once you start like making some money, prioritizing that. And that's like the unsexy stuff of entrepreneur, right? It's like, you know, I could say like, those sleepless nights are worth it, which they are, but it's more like find a good lawyer, find a good tax accountant, like align yourself with people who believe in you and just like be okay with not sleeping because it's <laughs> going to be – but it's worth it. It's totally. Worth it. Do you now have a group of friends who are also entrepreneurs that you can talk to? I do. Yeah. I think that you start gravitating towards each other. I mean I still – it's interesting because my friends – so before I was a TV producer, I was a surf and snowboard instructor. So I was like at the beach in the summer and then the mountains in the winter. And I really feel like those personality types are actually also pretty similar like to the entrepreneurial personality Mm -hmm. types. So it's like, I still am friends, of course, with all like my rock climbing friends and my snowboarding friends. They're all still my friends, but they all like merge together really well because it's like, it's kind of that like outside thinker, you know? Um, So yeah, I think all my friends now basically either have their own business or they work in like extreme sports in some way. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. So I'm sitting here looking at your beautiful glass jar. Can you describe these products as? I would love to. So this is, oh, this is, (laughs) I'll tell you about our labels. Um, So these are, they're glass bottles with aluminum lids, paper labels, and it's dry tablets inside. So they're meant to be kept and refilled with our compostable refill pouch. This is a month worth of tablets. We also have one that's four months worth of tablets. And on our subscription program, which is the four months, we just keep sending you a compostable refill pouch every four months filled with the four months of tablets. So you keep this and you just keep refilling it. So it is fully recyclable, but that's not we that's not the point. We want people to refill it because that's even better than like reusing is the first R. So or reducing is the first R, then reusing and then finally recycle. So um for me it was all about how do I make a product that we're gonna be using every single day that you wake up and you wanna see it and you like it on your counter, but then also is not harming the environment or, you know, or animals in the process or our own bodies, honestly. That's, so that's just so yeah. interesting. And then the actual tablet. Oh, yes. Let me yeah. see this here. So do I – I have to use water to be able to get this breakdown or can you just put it in your mouth and yeah. suck on it? So you totally can't. So what we what we say if you want to brush your teeth with it is you just pop one in your mouth, you bite down, and then you use a wet toothbrush. Okay. And then the wet toothbrush will help activate that foaming agent in there. there it's sodium isothionate. It's derived from coconut oil. And so there's no sodium lauryl sulfate in there. There's none of like the bad irritating type of foaming agents. And it basically will foam up like regular toothpaste, just like what you're used to. So that's like one way that you could use it. But also people like use it on the go. We have like our customers are awesome and creative because they'll be like, oh, I use this all the time. Like I just swish it around and spit it out like mouthwash. And we're like, yes, like, yes, you can. Like that you can totally awesome. do that. So, um, but we would, it, the way you're, you know, use it at home, like regular toothpaste is just to bite it up. And, and then, how long did it take you to come up with the formulation that you're using now? What was that process like? It was about a year. So, and it was like a year of 
I mean, I would spend every night, I would come home from work and I would spend every night taking online chemistry courses or like researching dental patents and dental studies, which they're, it's so amazing what you can find on the internet now, no matter what you want to do, you can find everything. Like it's there. So I was just researching the ingredients and where they're from and why they're better and what to use, what not to use. And then in the morning, I was like fighting with the tableting machine. So I bought a tableting machine and had to learn how to use it. And I bought it from a company in Texas. And because they were two hours ahead of us before morning, I would wake up at like 6 a.m., before I had to be at my TV job and I would Skype with the guy who runs the company being like, it's not working, Robert, please help. And he was so nice. And he'd be like, oh, it looks like you need to tighten this or loosen that. And then I would press tablets in the morning and then go to work. Wow. And then, yeah. Did you file for a patent? Is it a utility patent that you get for this type of product? Yeah. So we're currently patent pending. So it's a long process. We were super lucky, actually. Um, a fantastic lawyer who had actually worked on uh, Colgate's patents. He has kids and he knows the, you know, he's really passionate about the climate crisis and the plastic epidemic. And he did our patent for us uh, pro bono. And so, and that was like, I mean, amazing. I had done, I see that you is, have a patent That is thing incredible. That, yeah. Like it, I had started the process and I was like, I had actually gone to the patent and trade office because I'm from DC. So on like a family trip home, my mom took me there. I'm actually and, from Maryland. What, really? Yes. This corner. I'm from uh, Rockville, right oh, outside awesome. DC. Yeah. Oh, we would go up there to play soccer. That's so funny. Yeah. That is, <laughs> that's awesome. So we, so the patent and trade office is right where yeah. we live. And so my mom and I went there and we um, started the process, but like, it, it, like kudos to anybody who's done their own patent because it is so especially it's funny in the example of writing a patent is a toothpaste patent because the oral care industry is one of the most heavily patented industries in like all of the industries so it was really important for us and really lucky that we got to work with like such an incredibly awesome lawyer who yeah did it for us for that so that but is, it's, it takes a long time that is really great so does that mean once you have this patent if any of the big companies i won't name them um wanted to create a product like this they would have to license it from you like how would that work well so the first toothpaste tablet was actually created by colgate in 1969 and they patented it so and that's expired so now that's why there are other toothpaste toothpaste tablets on the market so there are a few that were before us but they are packaged in plastic and now actually there is one of like the big guys are getting into our space and so it was one of those things we've gotten kind of questions all the time like is that scary and we're like that's actually really exciting because that's the whole re like Yes, of course, I want my business to survive and thrive, and I think that we will. But the whole point of this was not for us to be this successful company, but it was to point our fingers at a problem and come up with a solution and show people that we can do something better. And so the fact that like the big guys like see us and they're like, oh, we're going to do something too, I'm kind of like, that was the whole point, you know? So we're coming up with, you know, what we want to do to continue to iterate and innovate and just continue to kind of push the industry in that sustainable direction. But yeah, they're, they see us, they have woken up and we all need to solve the problem together, you know? And I do think that in, in the end, like you have to have kind of those companies on like the fringe, which I always want to be at, where it's just constantly pushing them further and further in a more sustainable direction. Coming up, understanding that your customer is paramount and the value in paying someone to set up your pixel properly. 
So, Lindsay, you chose not to raise money. You have bootstrapped this business. And I'm sure you have, you know, people emailing you all the time now, wanting to give you money, uh, asking you if you're going to fundraise. What is your ultimate goal for the business? Do you want to eventually build this company to sell? Have you thought that far ahead yet? There is no game plan yet. But I do think when I look at the companies that I really look up to – And I look to like Glossier Mm -hmm. and their community and Patagonia and what they've done to like their industry. That's who I like really look up to. But I definitely think that that is like a really optimistic hope, you know, and Patagonia never really raised, they never raised money either. So like the business person in me, which is like a new business person, let's be real. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. That is like the idea of that is really hard. And like you look at the exit is like probably the direction you'll be pushed in. But I I don't – I don't – I can't think of a company that I'd want to exit with if that makes sense. Like because it's like it would need to stay – really true to what we're doing and like we won't even go in retail stores like we've had a lot of interest from big Mm -hmm. big box retail and we won't do it because they can't guarantee that they won't ship our product with plastic tape Mm. you know and we're like well that's the whole point you know and so it's like to wrap my head around the idea of an exit it would need to be it wouldn't need to be – it would be a collaboration mm. where it was like a company that was like, we really see this as the future and we are going to give you like a way to be like stronger and like a little wing and have their resources because, I mean, you look at Dr. Bronner's. They mm. stayed, you know, yeah. so it's it all depends. So – but it, I do think that it will make us better. Like the competition makes us better yeah. because it makes us kind of realize the things that we're like kicking around. Like we're a super small team. There's five of us in a living room in Marina Del Rey. And like we have a big business. And so like we're doing – we did uh, $4 million in the past 18 months and we're on track to do $12 million this year. So it's like we're pumping out big numbers. But we're small, like a small team. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but we got to get better. And that's what these big guys, they're going to force us to like really get better because, you know, and like completely innovate. It's like, okay, they can, they'll copy us on the plastic free toothpaste tablets, but we're already working on three other things. So it's like, you're going to have, they're going to have to really kind of. To keep well, up you can with move us. so much faster than these yeah. big companies. These big yeah. companies are super slow. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of very big companies that look like they're doing really well, but they're actually not profitable. Right. And the key is, especially as a startup, you have to run a profitable business. Otherwise, I mean, you hear this in the news all the time, and we can talk about like we work and these companies that are trying to go public, but they're not right. profitable. Right. So, what you're doing, running a profitable business, like. Keep doing that. And the idea, I think it's interesting because I talk about having a sustainable business all the time. And when I say sustainable, I mean like eco-friendly, but also the idea of having a sustainable business as in like a business that is running well, I think is really important. And like the growth at all cost model is just not something that we're interested in because it's like literally like that's consumerism and that's like actually what we're against. And so it doesn't like we're not going to be like, how much stuff can we make that people will buy? You know, and it's like that. That's like against who we are as a, as a company. So like I want to make really great stuff. I want to make stuff that helps the world and that helps like our daily routines. Basically, like my job, I feel like is to get plastic and harsh chemicals out of our daily routine. 
and that will be making more stuff, but it's not growth at all costs. Like here's all the stuff that we're making buy it. And I think that that's like a really big difference when I look up to companies like Patagonia, it's like they make a lot of stuff, but it's all like very thought out stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not that unsustainable growth at all cost model. And that's what we want to do, you know? And that was a thing too, raising money. I get why companies need to do it. Mm -hmm. But for us, it was like, I have no interest in it because I think it's like when you start taking money, then you have to exit, yep. right? Or like you have to like all of a sudden things change. You it's well, like now you have profits. Matter. You now have bosses. You know, if you yeah. raise money, like you you are reporting to these people. Now right. you have the freedom and control and the creative control to to do whatever you want in your business. And right. if you, I mean, people always gave, you know, myself and Courtney this advice because we never raised money mm -hmm. and we could have, like people were offering us money wanting yeah. to invest in our business, but it's like, why? If you can run a profitable business and yep. you have the ability to be able to keep reinvesting, to be able to grow, mm -hmm. why give that away and give up that control? And I love that you give that advice. Yeah. Cause, and I feel like I say that to people all the time too, because like, I feel like we are in the minority on that because so much of the advice that I was given was like, take as much money as you can, as fast as you can, you know? And I'm like, but why, right. you know? And I was like, but then your company is hijacked by people. And no matter how much you like that VC in the room, they are indebted to their LPs and you don't know them. No one knows them. It's like, you know, Oz. And so it's <laughs> like, I, you know, an example for us is, we decided to go palm oil free. So we are uh, like, we're constantly iterating. We're kind of taking like the native approach where it's like, we're trying to get better and better every time. And our customers were kind of like, Hey, we're totally in line with your values. We get what you're doing, but you have uh, an ingredient that has palm oil in it. You should really rethink that. And for me, I was like, it's eco cert palm oil, which is a certification. I was like, it, it's of all the palm oil. That's at least like an okay palm oil. Mm -hmm. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh man, our customers are right. Like when you dig further into it, there are some transparency issues here. And so we decided that we were going to take palm oil completely out of our formula because for me, I started this as, a, as an advocate and not like as an entrepreneur. And like, if I'm damaging the planet with my product, I'm changing my product, sure. you know? And so I was like, whoa, the rainforest. So I was like, <laughs> get that out. And um, we did that within four months. And it caused a lot of problems. Like we were out of stock. It took longer and was way more expensive than we thought it was. Cause like what was me doing something in my living room and now we're working with like this big cruelty-free lab in LA. It was like a whole different process. And I don't think, I mean, I kind of knew it, but I was like, I don't really care. I'm still going to do it. And it really kind of blew up. And I was thinking, I was like, man, if we had investors and if I had to answer to them, that would have sucked. Like they, that would have been, I just wouldn't even consider that. And then of course, two months after releasing our palm oil free formula and going palm oil free, our sales doubled. And it was because it's like our customers want us to do the right thing. Yeah. We did the right thing. And then we got rewarded. But it's like, it's already you're up against so much in business. I don't want to be up against, you know, anything else. <laughs> and so, you know, and like same with just, I think, along the journey. And I do, I also see why, you know, sometimes they can help with connections and they can help. And I get, especially if you have a tech product and you have, like, like this is a hands-on thing that you can start in your living room. But I do, I don't know, I'm very passionate about at least, and if you are taking money, you have to know where it's coming from. Yeah. Because in the end, there's going to be hard decisions you have to make. And if you're a mission-driven brand, it just, you don't want to have to compromise your why, totally. you know? So... Yeah. And I think just, I mean, you, everything you're sharing, you just resonate so much with this product and believe in what you're doing. And I think that's what sells people. And you're 
would you say you're the face behind the brand? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I didn't like before this, I had like a YouTube channel, like a travel YouTube channel. And I never thought that that would be something that a toothpaste company would need. But I think like me and my story and just like the passion for it has really resonated. And I, there's so much nuance in what we're doing that we need to be able to explain it. And like, I feel like other brands, if you don't have a person to explain, it's tough, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like our bristles. Like we have to talk about why, like our, we have a bamboo toothbrush and there's plastic in our bristles. And that's because the only way you can have a, like your toothbrush bristles, there's two options. You can either make it with boar's hair or animal hair, or it's going to have a plastic or plastic derivative. And that's really your only option right now. And we're a vegan company. I'm actually, I'm vegan myself. And so I was like, well, that's out. So it's like, that means we have to do plastic. And so a lot of companies kind of gloss over it, or I think they're mistaken because they, it's also when you talk to manufacturers, they'll say that it's like hundred percent biodegradable and they assume that that's true. And you're like, no, you need to ask more questions. But for us, like I needed to be able to like sit down, put a camera in my face and explain to our customers because they deserve to know that why we made the choices that we made. That's the coolest part to me is being able to like be real about it and explain. So when you first started this business, your background is in TV. It was not in marketing and it was not in direct-to-consumer marketing. And a lot of direct-to-consumer brands have launched and really blown up over the past few years, really since when you were first starting the business. How were you able to learn how to market the business and the tricks of DDC marketing? Any advice and tips you can share? Great question. So we have been super like incredibly lucky, similar to you, where so much of it's been organic. Like we, the only advertising we do is Facebook and Instagram and we're dabbling in Google, but we keep on messing up. And so it's like, cause it's, it's me and my boyfriend, you know, and he's the one doing all of our advertising and everything. So, and like from everything from making the content to putting it out, to monitoring our ads, I think that understanding where your customer is, is so important because when you start your business, you're going to get a lot of uh, advice from people of like where to go and what you should do. And I think you have to think about like, I'm always thinking like, where's our girl? Because like, that's me. Mm-hmm. I'm the girl. I'm the one who I'm, I made this for me. So I'm like, where where am I? You know, and I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm there. And I think that doing that is really important. And this is something that's so important. Not outsourcing that too soon because you have to know your brand's DNA. Like you have to know it backwards and forwards. And I think, and I'm in a lot of these like entrepreneurial groups on Facebook Mm -hmm. and they're all like, oh, I need to outsource my Facebook ads and I need to outsource my, you know, I want to do podcasts, but I need to outsource it. And you're like, no, what you should really be doing is you should be the one figuring out how to do all that because now you see what resonates with you and you see like you're speaking to the podcast hosts and like your understanding you have to understand it because especially when you're an online business that's so pivotal to who you are as a brand so what were the early days like testing on facebook and instagram how did it how did it work for you guys uh okay so when i was running it it was a complete disaster like literally it was i had it going And like, I forgot that it was on and it was like just doing the static image. And luckily you can't, it didn't spend that much because like I didn't set up the thing right, but now Asher's on it and it's like way better. So it's all about, okay, first of all, make sure you have your pixel set up, right? So that was like, you 
there's a Facebook pixel, I don't know, Google it. And you want to make sure that it's set up on your Shopify site and that it's set up correctly. And like, I would say that if you need to do something in the early days, if like set it up yourself, because you should know how to do it, like Google it, and then maybe pay someone to just make sure it's set up correctly, because that's going to be, that's going to really help you understand your customer and like who cares and who doesn't care. So I would say first set up your Facebook pixel figure out how to do that. And then start just for us, it was like testing. First we started and you, we have like some photos that are so out of date for us. Like as a brand, we're like, God, they look kind of like bad, but they do well. And you're like, leave them up. I know. You, know? you, ne- you never know what's going to perform well. What yeah. you think is going to do well, yeah. it's usually something else. <laughs> you come up with something glossy yeah. that you spent all this like money, you know, like we would like be like, okay, we're going to get a photographer yeah. and we're going to do this. And then it's like with doing nothing, you know, so don't think you know anything, test it and like just have a little bit of money set aside. Definitely start setting aside that money. Like if you're making money off Shopify, if you're like shops on Shopify or whatever, start putting away money for taxes and start putting away money for ads. What were you spending in the early days on running Facebook and Instagram ads and what are you spending now? I mean, early days was like 40 bucks a day. And that was like mind blowing to me, you know, and I think now we're Were you like like, freaking out when sales were coming in from that? Oh, yeah. Well, well, uh, no, they weren't coming in from that. So I was like, when I was running it at $40 a day, we weren't making anything. So Um, Asher gets involved and now you start Asher, yeah. yeah, He started kind of, he, and his background is, he had as a, a startup before. So he has a solid understanding of that. But when we came through, like all of our sales really came through the beginning was totally organic, mm-hmm. but we were featured on blogs and then the women's health video, because then that spiraled into like business insider and attention and everything. And so that all started. So you started getting organic press. Totally. Yeah. Before we even touched Instagram ads. So luckily we had like set up the pixel. So we were ready to do it, but it wasn't until after all of that, that we actually started getting into it. And when did you start the subscription service? From the beginning. So you were always So that was always, because the... That's the most eco-friendly way yeah. to do something is to basically have this well-made something that you just keep refilling. And so that was always the, you know, and for me, I was like, everything should be refillable. And I, I believe that, you know, so the subscription was day one, although it looked way different. Um, it used to be just this and you would get one month of tablets and we'd send it in regular USPS mail. So things are different. Up next, Shark Tank, and why things turned out for the best for those who make the best of what turns out. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed, And we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. Well, you just had something very major happen over the past few months. You were on an episode of Shark Tank. We were. Can you tell us (laughs) what that experience was like? Um, It was terrifying. Honestly, it was so scary. And coming from a TV 
producer. Because I know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm like, oh, I know I can make that one face and they'll just, you know, it's like, I don't know. So it was, it was honestly terrifying. And the crazy thing about not even just Shark Tank, but just everything is that is the understanding that like things don't happen in a void. So it's like we're you're doing Shark Tank and you're like shooting that on a Wednesday or something, but then we're having like stock issues on a Tuesday and then we have like I have, you know, six other things to go out of town for to try to do and it's like business doesn't stop. And so when we like did Shark Tank, we're still kind of like, "Oh my gosh, like, you know, there was there was there's so much going on." It was so it was it ended up being like an amazing experience and we went there. We wanted like a shark and we, we didn't, you know, we had been profitable for a long time. So we weren't there for the money. We wanted the shark. And so it was, it was a, uh, a really fun experience that was, I, I was like very proud of myself for doing that. Cause as much as I love doing like YouTube videos and like these kind of things, you really give up a lot of control when you do something like Shark Tank and like from my TV producer background, but I'm like, I want to control it all, you know, and you're you like, had to be oh, vulnerable and yeah, just go with the- and put it out there. So yeah, I'm super, I'm thankful it happened and I'm thankful that it, you know, aired and it all. Yeah. So it was, it was really fun. What was the audition process? Like, did you go through an audition process? Yeah. So the audition process is pretty intense. So I, there's like a stat out there. I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, it's harder to, get on Shark Tank than it is to like get in into Harvard or something. And I'm like, my boyfriend and I went to party school. So we're like, we're nowhere. Like we're not even <laughs> close to getting into Harvard. And uh, so that was like, like finding out that we got on was crazy, you know, and you, it's like a very kind of tight turnaround. So it was like, you're on, let's go, you know, and we're like, okay, we're, you submit a video, ready. fill out an application. Like, what was the first step? Yeah, so the first step. So we were we had the casting producers reach out to us, and actually, the first time they reached out was when my video went viral the year before. But it was literally in the process of the video going viral. I didn't even have a manufacturer yet, and I was like, I'm writing emails to my customers saying, like, so sorry, your order's delayed. I was like, there's no way I can do Shark Tank. So then it was like, okay, we'll talk next year when it was. And sure enough, next year, they emailed back. And that's when we started going through the casting process. And they're very clear with no matter whether they approach you or you approach them, you have an equal chance, which is definitely true. I mean, it was hard for us to get on. We There was a lot of calls, a lot of videos. But yeah. It was uh, worth it. And how long was the actual taping for when you're in the tank? When you're in the tank, I mean, it's like you're there for an hour. It goes like this. You, I basically, afterwards we walked out and I was like, I feel like I blacked out. What just I was happened? like, what yeah. do you say? <laughs> you know, I was like, what? And anyone who's on Shark Tank, what I would recommend you do, because I know we're listening, there's entre- yes. you know, entrepreneurs Everyone here. Everyone wants to know. How do you get on Shark Tank? Sit down and write down every thing, single thing you said after you film so you can then go back. So then when your episode's going to air, you know, whenever it airs, you at least have an idea of what you said. Because Asher and I are staring at each other being like, what did we say that they can use? You know, and you're like, I, I, it was so long ago, I don't even know. So yeah, I would recommend if anyone's on Shark Tank, as soon as you're done airing, sit down and write down how it all went. So you what month did you film in? June. June, okay. Yeah. And now it's just – it has just aired now in March. Yes. So there's a long time in between. Yeah. So now you have all of these months to prepare for mm-hmm. that big push because when this 
airs, millions right. upon millions of people are going to see this. Yeah. Did you have to formulate a marketing strategy over the past few months? Well, the tough thing is, and this is public, I'm not saying anything that's violating anything, um, <laughs> is that you don't know it's going to air until like two weeks before. So we didn't even factor this into our 2020 predictions or like projections for revenue. So we didn't, we because you have no control over it. And so like you could formulate it. What we did is we basically had like product on standby for the past year because we've been keep on going through it. But it's like, it's definitely a long, you you would think that you could be like super prepared, but here we are. It, it was a mad dash, you know, because we were like, okay, maybe we're just not going to air because we shot so long ago and we saw people that like we, you know, we had like not auditioned with, but people who were had been posting about it and we're like, oh, like this has been on forever. Maybe we're just not going to go. And then sure enough. What so. did it feel like when you got that caller email that it's making the cut? Asher and I were in our Airbnb in New York and we both looked at each other and we were like, oh, and I immediately felt like I was going to throw up all over the place. I was like, no, <laughs> I think this is so scary. It's still so scary. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's super exciting. I Thanks. know it's a dream for so many entrepreneurs to yeah. be able to to get on Shark Tank. So yeah. congratulations. Thanks. It's so, so exciting. Thanks. Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you live by? Yes. Things turn out the best for people who make the best of what turns out. And it's kind of the idea that no matter what happens, you just go with it and make it good for you. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, my uh, resting bitch face from Shark Tank, <laughs> you know, being like, let's meme this, you yeah, know, like whatever it. it is, is like you, things turn out the best for those who make the best of what turns out. Because it's like, it's really easy. And for sure, every once in a while, I just want to complain, you know, and be like, this is the worst, you know, some, it's nothing's working out. I feel like sometimes we go through, I'll, I'll go through a spurt where like, everything will blow up and I'll be like, nothing works. And this is always an uphill battle, you know, but then it's kind of like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What can I take here and turn it into something good? Or like, mm. what, what is this? What is the path that I can make to get to get me where I want to go from these obstacles? And I think that that has been um, really helpful through that, everything. That's really great. Yeah. Do you have a favorite way to just try to relax or unwind at the end of the day? Because being an entrepreneur, you're always on the go and it's like high stress, go, yeah. go, go every single day. Like, are you able to actually relax? So I do three things. I meditate every morning, every morning, except when it's really busy and I didn't sleep, then I don't and I can feel it. But I meditate every morning and I go for runs. And if it's been a really, really, really stressful day, I will like go on like a five mile run, like where, where I am. And it's, it's more like a run walk. Cause let's be real. I'm not running the whole time, but it's like, I just get out and I get out of the apartment because we run out of our apartment. I get by the beach and I just clear. And I love running at night when it's like kind of cool and the stars are out. Well, the star, cause it's LA. And then, <laughs> you know, like not many people are around. And, um, and I've honestly, so one of the things that I've done since this journey is I've stopped drinking alcohol, which has been, and I, I, I've, I love alcohol, you know what I'm saying? I've always been like a really into wine, but for some, I felt like I was going out all the time and like you go to a networking dinner and you drink a glass of wine, you whatever. And I was just tired. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think I need to stop drinking alcohol. And it's, it's not, when I'm done with this journey of the entrepreneur, I'm going to go back to like at least having my wine and my booze. But like it's really made a big difference in 
being able to wake up early and meditate and being able to run. And so those are my three things. So no, those are those yeah. are definitely really good tips. Are there common misconceptions people have about toothpaste or oral health? Like what do we what do we not know that you have all of these inside secrets now that you're in this business? Yes, so many good things. So first what you always want to remember is that you swallow five to seven percent of your toothpaste every single time you brush your teeth. There's um, you can find that's like a well documented stat from like the JADA. And that means if you would not eat your toothpaste, you should not be brushing your teeth with your toothpaste because you were eating it. So flip around your toothpaste tube and read it. And if you're comfortable with it, go with it. But if you're not, it's important to know. I would also say something that, hmm, do I want to get into this? Yep, we're going to get into this. Uh, I would also say that it's important to look to other countries. I think sometimes when it comes to oral health care regimens, because And this is something – so basically there's the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration, and then there's the ADA, sorry, the uh, American Dental Association. And I, you know, in my journey on this, found basically the ADA sending like a letter to the FDA saying, hey, you guys are so slow on accepting new technologies and new testing protocols that we're working on out-of-date information. Mm. And they said that in 2017, and nothing has changed. So when you look to other countries and they're using things like nanohydroxyapatite and they're using things like like even neem, I mean, that's been around forever, it doesn't mean just because it's not FDA certified that it's not effective. And I think that like it, you can get into like a really muddy water there, but it's also good to understand that to get something through the FDA, and we know this because we were working on a fluoride line, is incredibly hard, incredibly expensive. And if you're not like a big pharma company with a bunch of money to push around, it's really hard to do. And like something like nanohydroxyapatite, it's been around for 40 years. No one can patent anything around it, which means there's no big company that wants to push something through. And so I went to some dental conference, the California Dental Association conference in Anaheim, and they were talking about this. um, It was the new and innovative dental technologies. And they talked about xylitol there, which was great. But they kept on pushing stannous fluoride. And I was like, this is super strange because I've done a lot of research and like stannous is cool, but like it's pretty similar to to sodium fluoride and sodium arginine fluoride. And I was like, but they're making it sound like it's so amazing. Well, it turns out the company that was sponsoring that talk has a patent on a way to make stannous fluoride that doesn't stain your teeth because normal stannous fluoride will stain your teeth. And I was like, it's really crazy to me that dentists who are required to go to these conferences like every two years are taking classes that are sponsored by Big Dental and they're getting information that Sure, it's not not true. Stannous fluoride is totally fine. But like you're, you've cherry-picked data to show that it's the best because you have a patent on it. And that's messed up yeah. because that's people's teeth. And so I haven't been super vocal about that. I mean I haven't been vocal about it until recently. But now I just feel like we're doing a disservice because we know so much. Yeah. And I'm like someone's got to say it. And it's like I come at me. You know what I'm saying? You should like, say it. So I'm glad you're I saying am. it. Speak so out. I do. <laughs> that's I think how you're going to make an impact. Yeah. And you already are. Yeah. What would you say you're most grateful for every day? Oh, the first thing that I want to say is my dog Nemo. <laughs> like I love that name. That is the cutest name for a dog. He's, he is like 
I'm sorry. He's like a little rescue. I have to show you because I know he's like the cutest. He's so cute. Yeah, we adopted him right before Bite went viral. And like that was such a insane time. And he was like the just the just like the cuddle officer for like the whole for everybody. It was it was he's the best. But what I'm mostly thankful for is being able to like do something that I love and I'm so passionate about like this. This has never felt like a job. Never a job. Definitely like a mountain, sometimes like a mountain that wants to kill me and sometimes like like the best job ever. Um, but it's never felt like uh, this, you know, because uh, like for me, I kind of feel like we're defending and we're in battle and that we're trying to really make something better for our bodies, better for the planet. And that like we're like these like this small little team trying to really do a lot. So like I like that. And so that's what I'm really thankful for. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I have a special treat for you down below your seat here. The little bag oh, there. If you want well, to open it up and see what's wait inside. Wait a minute. How? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> so you're an open book and you post oh. about it on Instagram. So we know how passionate you are that's, about, about so your dog. Cute. Okay, that is like the sweetest thing ever. And I can't believe, oh my God, this is so. So, for you guys listening, it's a dog. Oh, yes. A dog mom. It's a dog mug. Mug. It's some other goodies in there for you to enjoy. Oh, a luggage tag, which is awesome because I literally just got new luggage. This is so cute. Thank you. Oh, and the books. Yay. Let's see. Um, like and follow, love it. Oh, I want to ask you what it's like to write a book. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you. (laughs) And this is awesome. This is so – thank you. Yes. This is so no, kind. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and yeah. story. I know you've just gotten started over the past few years, and I can't wait to continue to follow you and see what's in store. And you're definitely going to change the world. I can see it, and I feel your passion. And I can't wait now to start start using your products because I'm, I'm into all of this stuff. Yeah. My so, last question for you yes. is what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista means to me that I – can change the world yeah because it's like that's what hopefully right that's the plan you are (laughs) that's it you are changing the world (laughs) and the idea that uh like i've always been super like uh i don't know like i'm like old like i don't know surf instructor snowboard instructor like i was always against business and now i'm kind of like oh man we can use business for good and we can do some really good stuff so yeah that's what being entrepreneur for me is <laughs> i love it Lindsay. thank you so much for sharing your journey where can everyone find you follow you and of course buy your amazing products so um we are for sale only online for through our own website which is bite toothpaste bits.com or bite toothpaste it'll take you right to our website and then um our handle is bite toothpaste bits on instagram and then my handle on instagram is hey Lindsay Mick. so we're on there all the time we're very social <laughs> well we will be following you and tagging you and sharing with, with our audience too so thank you again for being here thank you for having me i'm stephanie and this is the best business meeting i've ever had Thanks for listening. 